0: Good morning. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, I, I love this church, and you'll hear that as I talk a little bit more. Um, we're in the middle of a series at the moment uh, called Myth and Miracle. We're actually in week two. And Steve started this series last week with these words. Over the next four weeks we're going to have four of the most important conversations we've had this year. Four of the most important conversations we've had this year. That's a bit scary. (laughs) Um, So we started the series with a conversation about the myth and miracle of friendship. Uh, Next week, uh, Mr. Phil Van Rijn will bring us a message on the myth and miracle of children. And the following week, uh, we've got a special guest... Kimberly Smith, who's a writer, pastor and author, and we're going to fly her in from Melbourne and she's going to speak on the myth and miracle of singleness. So there's a whole heap of really important conversations to happen. So today it's my privilege to talk to you on the myth and miracle of church. Um, so I asked, why me? Uh, why did I get this gig? And I think it's quite simple. It's because I'm a self Confessed church junkie. I love church. Um, I've always loved the church, Um, not just the local church, but the church universal, and I love to talk about it. Um, I just think it's an amazing privilege that I've got this morning to talk about Jesus' most beloved bride. Uh, He called the church his bride, he loved the church. And I love that I get to be a part of this family of God. Um, that he calls me child of God, and he calls you child of God. You get to be a part of the family of God. So this morning I've got the privilege to talk about just that. I think I've always loved the church. Um, I can remember from I can remember at a very, very young age being excited about going to church. I was part of a pretty small and conservative. Methodist Church that later became the Uniting Church, with probably about 60 to 70 members. My parents would dress us in our very best. Every Sunday, I was a small kid, a little blonde-haired kid, really blonde hair. Uh, We'd have our best clothes on. We'd have our socks pulled up to our knees. We'd have our hair perfectly combed and cut. um, And we'd look our very best. There's lots of photos I wish I could have shown you. My mum would tie um, our Sunday school offering in our handkerchief um, so that we wouldn't lose it and we wouldn't forget it. Um, which reminds me, actually. Sorry, I forgot mine this morning. Um, so, excuse me a moment. I did forget. I knew it. Oh, sorry. So, Emery, could you just put that in the offering for me? Thank okay. <laughs> you. Um, and we go off joyfully to church to fellowship with the same group of people week in, week out I very clearly remember the songs that we used to sing in Sunday school you know, songs like Jesus loves me, this I know or thank you <laughs> Jesus loves the little children or the children of the world red and yellow, black and white yeah, those songs I love them. Um, I was fascinated by the stories of David and Goliath, Joseph and his multicolored coat, and of course, Jesus and his many miracles. I also remember at a very young age, regularly standing out the front, leading the congregation and singing, I same with an adult, but from a very young age, I'd be right at the front, leading chorus time. There were so many things that I loved about the church. Uh, the hymn singing, along with the organ, was incredible. Uh, the men and women of the church would sing these, uh, these songs in parts. Uh, the, the men with the strong baritones and the tenors and the women with the sopranos and all, and they'd do all these songs that stirred my heart, songs like, And Can It Be, um, My Change fell off my heart, all those kinds of songs. <laughs> I'm not going to sing every song, by the way. Um, Oh, for a thousand tongues, do you remember these songs? To God be the glory, blessed assurance, uh, how great thou art. We would sing these hymns, and I was a little fella, um, but they stirred my soul. Uh, I can remember the incredible prayers that people prayed, and they were words that I didn't even understand at the time, but wow, these prayers... Uh, But what I remember the most was the fellowship, was the relationships, the time that we had together with other Christian families, the lunches, the potluck dinners, the progressive dinners, uh, the lamington drives, the picnics, there's a lot of food here for some reason, um, church camps, we did life together and it was awesome. Uh, So I loved church. As I grew older, church became a bigger and bigger part of my life. It led to Sunday school teaching uh, and youth leadership in my teens. It led to a call to ministry in my early 20s. So I went to Bible college and went into local church ministry. I became fascinated with this thing, this entity, this body called the church. It just consumed my life. I, like a mechanic, I wanted to know how the church worked? How did it operate? And I wanted to see it at its full potential. I can remember when I first, when this Bible reading I'm going to read to you in a moment, when it first caught my attention, it captured my attention and I meant it really grabbed my attention. I couldn't escape from it. My ministry colleague at the time used to joke that I could weave this one passage into every sermon that I preached. I would read this passage and it would tug at my heart. I would read it and I became excited because the the believers in this story uh, were so dynamic. Their experience of church was so dynamic and so radical that they were changing the world. And I wondered if our church could be just like it. But I was also frustrated when I read this passage because there was a big gap between what I was experiencing locally and what I was reading in this passage. Let me read it to you. And you can follow on the screen. <clears throat> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That just grabbed me, and it kept grabbing me, and it kept grabbing me. And I'm just absolutely convinced that this passage wasn't just a story about a, a great church, it wasn't just a description about a great church, but it was written for us as well, that we might actually gain from it, and maybe even become like it. What I particularly want to say to you this morning is this: uh, being intentionally relational is key to us being dynamic. Uh, of being a dynamic, Acts 2, world changing, Launceston changing, door of hope changing kind of church. I'm going to say that again because it's a big sentence and probably not grammatically correct. Um, being intentionally relational is key to us being the dynamic, Acts 2, world changing, Launceston changing, door of hope changing kind of church. Um, get that, get that. Being intentionally relational is the key. I know that sounds really simple and you're hoping for something a lot more theological, um, but I'm going to qualify that statement. Being intentionally relational is key because what did Jesus say were the greatest commandments? He said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. So loving God, loving your neighbour are the most important things you can do. Again, Jesus said, by this, they will know, everyone will know, that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's what Jesus said. This is how the world's going to know that you are his true disciples by how we treat one another. This is how they're going to get it. By how we love one another. We might even go as far to say that this is how the world's going to know if our faith is real. It's by how we love one another. Simple, isn't it? But really profound. They will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Let's just look at that early church's example again. Can we go back to that slide again please? That Bible passage. What really strikes me about this particular picture is the intentional relationship stuff that they did. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to life together. All the believers were together. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They did intentional, relational stuff. They did the, They did this stuff that was so simple but so radical. Um, so I'm just going to try to put that in, in our context somewhat. See, I think what it's saying is that they hung out together. They enjoyed one another's company and they did it as much as they could and they were radically inclusive. Everyone was involved. Uh, They provided for anyone in need, they helped anyone in need. Maybe they did up cars and gave them to people that were in need. They were fully committed to meeting together, consistently. They consistently turned up, they were fully committed to meeting together. They ate and had fun together in homes and they probably went out as well. Um, Again, that eating stuff. And when I look at this church, this Acts 2 church, I see the ultimate Jesus-centred, others-focused, together-in-community kind of church. Uh, And that's the kind of church that we want to be. Let's take something of that church and be that kind of church. Um, What I really like about this this particular passage, is the, the, the fruit of their relational stuff. So they did all this one, together kind of stuff, they did all this relational kind of stuff, and the result was that they enjoyed the favour of all the people. And it's not the, the church people that they enjoyed the favour of, it was the community people that they enjoyed the favour of. People from the outside looked in and saw what they had and thought, wow, isn't that good? They enjoyed the favour of all the people. And I think Draw of Hope's starting to be like this, that people from on the outside are seeing what we've got, what we've got, and we're enjoying their favour uh, because they're coming in. look at the ACND conference we've had recently. Look at the Mad Wheel stuff. We just heard that story. Someone in Northern Territory, and we're enjoying the favour of all the people. But this church, they they didn't do special programmes. They didn't have all kinds the the bells and whistles. They did the relational stuff and they did it really well and they enjoyed the favour of all the people. And the next line is really key. Um, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, How cool is that? Daily. The Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, I want to be a part of the church like that. Uh, But they just did simple relational stuff. Uh, That made a big difference. If you want to know why the relationship stuff is so important, well, the proof is in the pudding. Most of us are actually here today because of a relationship of some kind. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a sibling, maybe it was another relative. Someone had an impact on our life. Uh, Maybe they showed you to God, maybe they... Showed a Christ like example. Maybe they invited you to church or another activity, um, but there was a relationship. And I think most of us are here because of a relationship or lots of relationships. Maybe you have a hope story uh, where someone in your life showed you love. Uh, Did they care for you? Did they support you? Did they provide for a need? Or did they show up when you needed someone? Um, We've got so many hope stories in this place that probably involve some kind of intentional, relational stuff. There have been so many people in my life that have made a big difference. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this relationship stuff. As simple as it sounds that relational stuff that people do, that kindness, that love, that sharing, that caring, all of that kind of stuff has made a difference in my life. Uh, People who've supported me in my worst depression times. Uh, People who have provided for my family when we've been in need. Uh, People who've forgiven me and accepted me when I've made mistakes. Um, People who've cried with me and celebrated with me um, in those really those really important moments some of these relationships have actually changed my life this is how important that intentional relationship stuff is um, are there significant relationships in your Christian journey that made a difference I would bet that there is uh, and we need to keep having them and it's not just at the start but it needs to keep happening so I'm going to bust a few myths for you this morning as a part of our myth and miracle series. I don't think I've ever busted a myth before, so this is a first. Um, here's a, a few myths about church. Uh, the first myth is this. The church is here to cater to all my wants and needs. Have you ever heard any of these statements? I don't get anything out of the services or all the sermons. Uh, These are other churches, by the way. Um, (laughs) No one ever speaks to me at church. I don't like the songs. I don't like the preaching. Don't look at me. Um, I don't like the coffee. I'm bored with church. There's nothing there for me. Have you heard any of that? I call it the what about me church. What about me? It isn't fair. Yeah, I've had enough, now I want my share. I call it the what about me (laughs) approach to church. That's far too many songs I've sung this morning. Um, Don't put that in your feedback, please. Um, It's the what about me or the me-focused kind of approach to church. And I can tell you that if this is your approach to church, and I have to admit there's, there's been weeks, maybe even longer periods, where I've gone into church with that approach... It's all about me. You're going to be disappointed if that's your approach. Uh, You're bound to be disappointed at some point. Um, But there is a better way to, to approach church. Paul wrote these words To nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests. But each of you to the interest of, a, of the others. So I want, ch- I want you to change your song. If this is you that you're taking this "What about me?" approach, change your song and change it to, "It's not about me <laughs> oh, that's all I'm going to sing. Um, it's an others-focused. It's a Jesus-centered, others-focused approach to church. That's the right approach. if you take that approach, you're not going to be disappointed. You might even find your perspective on all of these things will change and and your needs might get met as well. Change your approach. It's not about me. It's not about what I can get. Um, It's all about him. Jesus-centered, others-focused. The second myth, Uh, the church is for good, clean, sane, normal people, people like me. Uh, I have to say that I actually believed this for a long time. Um, I was born into a church where everyone was a white Anglo-Saxon middle-class person and English was our only language, or was the only language that we spoke we dressed the same, we behaved well in public, uh, we didn't swear, we didn't smoke, and I never saw an adult from our church drink. Uh, we probably didn't dance as well. Um, and everyone seemed to have it all together. You know that, um, prim and proper, everyone was nice. And I thought that's what Christians were meant to be like. So what I That's what I thought. Um, but the church isn't like that, and it wasn't meant to be like that. Jesus set a tone for the kind of for what the church should be like. Uh, who did he hang out with? Who did Jesus hang out with? He hung out with the sinners, the misfits, the broken, the outcasts, the marginalised, the irreligious, and the unimportant. We could say the least, the last, and the lost the least, the last, and lost. They're the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. And my guess is that that's the kind of church that he wanted us to have, a church for the least, the last, the lost. Um, that we would build relationships, that our church buildings would be full of people who were in need. When people questioned him about the riffraff that he hung out with, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have... Um, but." Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, as Jesus said. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He was called a friend of sinners. Um, and that's the kind of church that he wants us to have. Now, the world, our community is full of people who need the love, the hope, the grace that we have. I want what they've got. Even in this room... Uh, whether you're here for the first time or you're here for the thousandth time, there are people in this room who still need someone to show them love, someone to show them support, someone to show them hope, uh, to, to show them encouragement. You don't have to be on the outside to need that stuff. We can be on the inside and need that stuff. Are we not a door of hope through Jesus Christ in a fragile and uncertain world? Are we not? So is this hope just a one-time thing? Is it just a one-time offer or is it a lifetime pass? It's a lifetime pass. We don't just get it once. We need to keep coming through the door, otherwise we might as well close the door and keep it all to ourselves. Um, He wants us to be a door of hope that's open. Um, And keep showing the love, keep showing the hope, keep telling the hope stories wherever you are. I'm kind of glad that the church isn't just for perfect people. Otherwise, I wouldn't fit in. Um, but you probably wouldn't either. Um, in my lifetime, I've sinned. I've failed. I've been de- uh, divorced. I've had depression most of my life. And I've been broken. I've been sick and in need, and I've lost loved ones. We well, probably all fall into one of those categories or more of those categories. We all need love, we all need support, we all need hope. Um, so we need to keep doing it. I think that God actually uses our brokenness and our restoration to show one another and those, not just us, but to show those outside the church how God actually works in our lives. So He actually takes that brokenness that we have. And he uses our stories of hope, restoration, transformation to show other people how God actually is working. He uses our stories of hope and transformation to bring hope and change in this world. Third um, myth I want to bring to you is I've got nothing to offer. I can't do anything. Have you heard that? I can't sing. I can't preach, can't teach, can't dance, can't lead, can't play the instrument. So I can't do anything. There's nothing that I can do. Well, that might actually be true, but what I do know with certainty is that God has actually gifted all of us. Every single one of us, um, God has actually gifted us to do something. We've got a part to play. And it might be none of those things, but gifts aside, there is one thing that we can all do. And that is to be intentional about the relational stuff. So even apart from the gifts, we can all do the relational stuff. And the Bible has a response to this particular myth. I can, I've got nothing to offer. The Bible has a response. And Paul wrote heaps of these letters to churches. And um, we know those letters well. And in those letters, we see this one particular phrase that keeps occurring, and it's called the one another stuff. Steve spoke about this last week. Uh, Steve said that there were... 58 are these one another statements in the, in the Bible. And I want you to listen to some of these because Paul actually wrote these, and some other writers wrote these to churches. It says, accept one another, be kind, tender hearted, and forgiving to one another, serve one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage and build one another up, pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. These are just some of the one another passages. We can all do this stuff. I want to add a couple of my own um, because I'm up here. Um, Be awesome to one another. I think that kind of encompasses all of that stuff, actually. Be awesome to one another. Uh, How about this one? Cheer one another on. Uh, Cheering you on. God wants us to be intentional about this relational stuff. Uh, It's really important to us being the kind of dynamic, acts-to-kind of church that he wants us to be, Uh, but it takes time and it takes energy. Uh, These are others' focused things, and you may not actually get anything in return, but that's okay. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about others. Um, these one another things are life changing. Simple as it sounds, love one another, serve one another, share with one another, spur one another on, be hospitable to one another. Life changing can be. Imagine if we all intentionally did this. Um, we did these one another things. Like We walked out this door today and we just thought I'm going to do one of these one another things today. So there's three hundred 53 of you t- here today, i just counted. Um, we, and we went out and did one of those things, 353 one another things that we did today. And we do it again tomorrow, and again tomorrow, and again tomorrow. And it's not just the people that are in our house that we like, but it's the random people that we meet day to day. Uh, it's the person that we um, stand next to in the line at the shopping center, or it's the person that you see at the welcome desk. Uh, It's the person that you do the gym class with uh, that we did that one another stuff that doesn't cost anything but it can make a huge difference in the life of a lonely person or a lost person or a broken person or a desperate person or a depressed person or a discouraged person. If we did those one another things every day, every day, simple things but powerful things that can change a person's life. The last myth I want to bring to you this morning is that the church can do without me. It doesn't need me. No one will notice if I don't turn up. They don't need me. I'm not just talking about the Sunday service, but the whole 24 7 church experience. You know, it may be true that people won't notice you if you're not here. And it's really easy in a big church like this not to be noticed. So don't be surprised in a big church. Actually, in a bigger church like this, you could, be here, you could actually be here every week and still not get noticed. And that might be an even bigger problem. See, for some reason, the real reason you are not noticed is, is because you're not in the game. Um, I, uh, I've had people say that they're going to football games or cricket games and they're going to be in the crowd and they say, look out for me and I miss them every time. It's because they're not in the game. (laughs) I'm not going to see you if you're in the the crowd, uh, in the stands. I'm going to miss you. But if you're in the game, no matter what part you've got to play, I'm going to see you. You're not going to be missed. Um, And I reckon I could be completely missable in this place. If I came to church and I kept to myself if I didn't get involved in any ministry or any activities, if I didn't connect with anyone during the week, and if I didn't attend a connect group, I didn't walk closely with other Christians, I would be missed. I would, You wouldn't notice me. I would be totally missable. But I want to say to you this morning that the body of Christ does need you. Whether you know or not, The body of Christ needs you. Everyone has a part to play in the church. Everyone. Um, 100% true. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Each one. You know, if we're actually missing body parts, like a toe or a leg or an arm, you'd miss it, wouldn't you? Um... It's true of the body of Christ. One part can be missed. If you don't turn up, if you don't do your part, it's like a body part is missing. So if a body part is missing, what, ha- what happens? Every other part has to accommodate. Every other part. Someone else has to do your part, and they won't do it as good as you can do, um, because only you can do the part that you do. Um, Paul says again to the Ephesians, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. The body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The the body actually works best when every part does its job. Every part. So if three or four or 400 of you choose not to do your part, the body is going to work, but it's not going to work best. So if you're not here or you're not involved, we miss your contribution, your uniqueness. We miss the part that only you can do. And it may be as simple as the conversations that you have or the interactions that you have that we miss, but those Interactions could be really important. Maybe it's the new person that you could have met, or the hurting person that you could have encouraged, or the struggling person that you could have prayed for. If you're not here, we miss your contribution. So be here. Can I say that? Uh, Be here and be here consistently. But I want to encourage you get in the game. Bring what only you can bring. Bring your gifts, bring your talents, bring your personality, bring your passion, bring your experience and your one another ring. I just created that word, one another ring. Bring your one another ring. You know, love one another, serve one another, spur one another on. Bring it. Um, Because it's going to change people. Uh, It's going to change people in here but it's going to change people out there too. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come up. And while they're doing that, I'm going to show you something really cool, Uh, really awesome. Here it is. Look at that. (laughs) Turn it up. Yeah, turn it up. Yeah, that's good. Um, Okay, that'll do What's under the hood? Um, I'm going to tell you what's under the hood. This car has a 5-litre dual overhead camshaft, 24-valve, V6 engine with an APS twin-turbo system that produces somewhere around 600 horsepower. Um, A powerful engine indeed. Actually, I've got no clue. Um, I I don't know anything about cars whatsoever. But um, (laughs) I've got a point. I've got a point. What's under the hood? Uh, I want to take take a moment to remind you what's under the hood of our church. Uh, even more powerful than that car. Uh, what kind of power are we actually dealing with? And I'm going to tell you what it is. It's Holy Spirit power, church. The Holy Spirit is our power under the hood. Under the hood of our church is Holy Spirit power. The Bible says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. How about that? Amen. The same spirit that took that cowardly bunch of disciples, those misfits, and, and the Holy Spirit turned them into courageous men and women of God who proclaimed boldly the name of Jesus, even to their deathly demise, some of them. He is the same spirit who is fully present in our church, fully present in our church today. The same Spirit who took that ordinary group of Christians in that Acts 2 church and He turned them into a dynamic bunch of world changers where the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. He's the same Spirit who is present in our church today and He wants to continue that redemptive work through us. When we become Christians, that same Holy Spirit takes residence in us. So now the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is now with each of us always. He lives in us, which means that wherever we go, we take his presence, we take his power wherever we go because the Holy Spirit lives in us. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit wants to work in and through us. He wants to work in and through you even in your relationships. Even in your random interactions, in our one anothering, the Holy Spirit wants to work through you. And He wants to make an eternal difference through us. He wants us to be that Acts 2 kind of church, that dynamic, world changing, Launceston changing, door of hope changing, Acts 2 kind of church. What a privilege. So do it. Let's do it. Let's go and be that kind of church. In Jesus' name, amen.